All right. So, um, so we're in the middle of a series right now called Because He Lives. Um, these are um, stories from post-resurrection and pre-ascension of Jesus. And um, in that, today we'll be asking the question, uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? So, um, being a follower is a foundational part of the Christian life. It's a part of living, our, it's a part of um, just our everyday lives, where he commands and we do. Where he speaks and we listen. And where he leads, we follow. So, Jesus sets an example for us by calling out to his disciples, saying simply, look at the transition, follow me. So, uh, Peter gets this call um, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, where he, um, in Matthew 4, when he's just a humble fisherman, and Jesus calls him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So, uh, today, uh, we'll be looking at a story from the end of John, chapter 21, where Jesus is appearing to his disciples for the third time since his resurrection. Um, Peter and some of the other disciples, they decide to go fishing, and they're having trouble catching anything, and they've been uh, casting their nets all day, haven't gotten anything, and then a voice um, from a man calls from the shore, and it says, and he says, cast your nets to the other side. And so they decide to cast their nets to the other side, and they gather so many fish that they can't even pull it into the boat, and so they go to the shore to meet with this man. And that man is Jesus, as you probably have predicted. So, um, so they go and eat with this man, and then that is where we pick up our story, um, beginning at John uh, 21, beginning at verse 15. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So in this text, Jesus is attempting to reinstate Peter um, into the initial call that he had given him to follow me. Um, so he had uh, denied Jesus three times. And the most puzzling and ironic part about that is, out of any one of the disciples, out of anyone in the entire world, frankly, the person who denies Jesus three times is Peter. Peter is, uh, in, because, because of that, um, earlier uh, in John, we see in John chapter 13, that um, at the Last Supper, Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. Like, I will never deny you, I will lay my life down for you. And then Jesus tells, and then Jesus makes the prediction that um, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. So when, uh, when Peter denies Jesus, it's because he's afraid. The crowd is clamoring for Jesus to be crucified. Um, and then they point to Peter and they say, you, we've seen you with him. We know that you were, you've been with him. We know that you're a disciple of him. And he says, no, like, that's not me. You, you, that's not me. Like, 
I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the guy you think that I am. He was fearful that he would suffer the same fate that, Je- the same fate that Jesus would if he said that he had known him. Um, and so he, he ends up denying Jesus three times, and right after that, the rooster crows, just as was predicted. So as soon as Peter's back was against the wall, as soon as his faith was being put to the test, he immediately, all those faithful years that he spent uh, beside Jesus' side, gone, out the window. He was one of Jesus' closest friends and confidants. Jesus was his leader, his mentor, his teacher. Peter, as it says in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says that Peter will be the rock on which I will build my church. And this is the guy who denied Jesus. So when Jesus returns, um, Peter thought that when he denied Jesus, that was going to be his final chance, that he would never get another chance to redeem himself. So then when Jesus returns... Peter's ashamed. He hides from Jesus. He's probably hang, he's like kind of hanging out in the background. And then um, Jesus calls him forward because he felt that he had failed him and he didn't want to be, you know, he didn't feel worthy of being by Jesus' side. And Jesus asked him, do you love me? And so the, in, in the Greek, the Greek word that's used here is agapao, which means to love. It's the verb to love. But it's normally associated with a higher love. It's known as a special devotion to Jesus. And Peter's response to that is a different word, philo, which is where we get, the, where we get Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. So this love is more as a more natural love. Um, it's more of a friend love, like you know that I love you, like, like you're my friend. Um, so he doesn't go as far to say that he has this special devotion to Christ through the agapao type love. So when Jesus gets so when or so when Peter gets his chance um, to redeem himself, Jesus is questioning not not his love, rather his devotion to the kingdom, to serving the Lord. So Peter Peter is clearly frustrated. He's troubled by this, and as the text says, that he's he's hurt by it because he's asked that question three times. And also something to note here is that when Jesus um, asks him to feed my sheep, uh, care for my flock, Peter remains silent. So this begs the question that, does Peter want to follow Jesus? Is he still devoted? Does he feel worthy to be reinstated into God's graces? Peter loves him like family. But to care for Jesus' flock is to care for Jesus' ministry furthering far beyond Jesus' ascension into heaven building the church. Peter believes that he isn't good enough. He believes that he's a failure. He feels as if he's irredeemable. So Peter isn't perfect. He struggles and he fails when he tries to follow Jesus. But so do we. So when I was younger, I, I struggled with not feeling good enough. I had a low self-esteem, and uh, it began beginning in middle school, where I struggled to maintain any friendships, and I struggled, and even at some points, I would say that I had no friends. So in those forming years, um, I struggled um, with who I am. And so in that, I felt like 
am I, am I good enough? Like, is there something wrong with me? And on top of that, I had a very little faith. I kind of viewed God as someone who was this guy that you could talk to, and when you were talking to him, he could answer your problems. So he had answers to the questions that I was asking. So, so I talked to him, and I just begged him for just one person that I could call my friend. And then, so that started to build up, like, this kind of shame and this hurt um, that was deep in my heart. And then as I started moving on to high school, um, similar, similar stuff started, that stuff started coming back up again as I was facing some bullies. Um, and so while I was facing that, I struggled with this, this shame and this identity crisis um, that I was trying to battle with. And, and, but God was faithful in that, and he pulled me out of that. He pulled me out of that trouble, and he, was, he remained faithful through that. But throughout my life, times like that will still come up, and they'll still stir what's going on inside. And so that deep-seated um, hurt and shame that I face will come up even in moments like when I was preparing for the sermon, because I feel unworthy to be up here right now and giving you this sermon. Like, who am I to give this message from God? You know, so... Um, so, sorry, trying to catch up where I'm at. Um, so, so in that, um, I can, I'll tell you a story about, um, my incredible grandmother who is watching in heaven right now with God at this sermon, because she predicted quite a long time ago, see, my mom will enjoy this story. She predicted a long time ago that I would be one of two things. She predicted that I would either be the next John Madden, who's a who's a, a legendary coach and legendary sportscaster. You know, his name's on the video game. So not, not that big of a deal. So I was like, okay, okay, like, Grandma, that's great. Like, yeah, that, that sounds awesome. Or she said that I would be a pastor. So predicted a long, long, long time ago before I would ever um, understand what a call from God looked like, she predicted it. And so today I'm fulfilling her prophecy, sort of, kind of, not really. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm on my way, but... <laughs> So, so we can relate to Peter when we struggle to follow Jesus. Um, because we, there's times that we won't feel good enough to follow Jesus. We'll feel that shame towards um, our lives. Um, so like when, um, someone who's, um, like when someone's elderly and they feel like they're out of the game, when they go to Florida and come back, um, they feel as if uh, they might not have a voice or they might feel a little bit out of touch. Um, with what's going on. Or um, people who are married, when they're trying to balance their marriage, their family, their busy lives, and still trying to maintain um, their faith life. Or those who say, if you only knew my past. If you only knew um, my anxiety. If you only knew my depression, my drug addiction, uh, my alcohol abuse, then you would know that I was unworthy to be a follower of Christ. Or even if there's a knowledge gap where um, you don't necessarily know um, that much about Scripture or um, the only time that Scripture is open for you is um, at church. Or even if um, you're in more introverted and you're like, I'm not the one to be going out and sharing the gospel of Christ. So we neglect our relationship with him because we don't feel as if we are good enough. So we experience a similar shame that Peter felt when he felt that shame and guilt, when we follow Jesus, it is inevitable that we fail. 
But the good news for you today is that failure isn't final. So there's beauty and grace in that. And then in the text, Peter is restored into God's grace in that moment. So um, just as in the story of the prodigal son, where he takes his father's inheritance, he runs away, he sins, and upon returning, he's embraced with open arms. Jesus restores and renews his covenant of love with Peter. And in doing so, he sets Peter towards his kingdom call. He re-centers him, refocuses him, and sends him down a new path. So upon this return to grace, he tells him to feed my lambs, to feed my sheep, um, to care for my flock. So in caring for Jesus' flock, he's talking about the lost sheep of Israel that he came to save. So of course, uh, Peter feels unworthy of caring for his flock, but Jesus sees him as more. He sees him as more than he will ever see himself. Jesus sees Peter as the rock, as a leader, as a disciple of him that he trusts with giving him the, key, the keys to the kingdom here on earth. He's insinuating here that if you love me, I will give you everything. So the, from the initial call of the humble fisherman all the way until uh, all the way until he becomes a leader in the church, we see that Jesus has remained constant. We see here that he says he will indicate the kind of death that Peter would glorify God with, and he said to him, follow me. Follow me is the same call that he received from the very beginning as a fisherman all the way until he's reinstated back into God's good grace. So Peter's failure is fi- isn't final, and neither is yours, because he lives. Now in this passage, Jesus goes on to talk about Peter's future. He says that when you were young, you did as you pleased, and when you're older, others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. So I really struggled with this part of the passage, so I wasn't really sure what it should mean. I thought it was maybe a way of that he was telling us how to care um, for our parents or our grandkids and how they should take care of their grandparents or something along those lines, but, uh, but that doesn't really make sense. So, so um, rather, when I started looking at this passage and started um, reflecting on kind of my own life and uh, some of the lives of the people around me, I see that, how true is it that when we're young, we do, we do what we want? So I, I think of, a, I think of Stories of trying to go, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, of going to, you know, going shopping, going to Meijer or something, and then you're, the, the, a child is like, I really want this toy, and inevitably the parent says no, and then the kid falls on the ground and throws a fit. So the kid is, is, is looking out for themselves because they want this toy, they want it for them, but then as you get older, you kind of learn uh, more responsibility and you learn that you need to take on more and start looking out for others. So as Peter's called to be a leader, um, he's kind of looking back at the time where he was just a fisherman and that he was hanging out in the background and Jesus was um, speaking and he was just kind of like taking a step back and he's like, 
hey, like, this is Jesus's thing, and, like, I'm just following him. But then when he's handed over the keys, he realizes that it isn't about him anymore, but rather it's about everyone. So when, so when I was, so I am a missionary by trade. So when I was um, doing missions in West Virginia, uh, my community partner there, Brandon Mull, he is, um, he was, uh, he was the pastor of the church that we were staying at, so he's my partner that like, we met with in the community. And so he was not only the pastor of the church, but he was also a substitute teacher at the school. Um, he was on a couple of different boards. Um, he was a board member. He also coached the soccer team. Um, he found us building projects and kind of led some of those building projects. And on top of that, he was raising four kids with his wife. So um, one day, we're... Um, we're back, at, we're back at the church where we were staying at, and uh, one of the, lead, the trip leaders that had come from somewhere um, in the country comes up to me and says, Ryan, is that Brandon down there mowing the soccer field's lawn? And I was kind of like, I was like, yeah, like he's got to get ready for practice, and um, in order to do that, he has to take his own mower and go and mow the soccer field himself, otherwise it wouldn't get done. And he's just like, I swear, I see that guy everywhere in town. He's, uh, he's like, he's like I, that guy must, he does a lot for, he does so much for this town. And um, when he gets to heaven, his crown will be a lot bigger than mine. And knowing, and knowing Brandon pretty well, I was like, I was like, yeah, maybe. But I know that he'll take off that bigger crown and he'll give it to you. So Brandon is my, as one of the examples for me, of what being a follower of Christ looks like, regardless of what he feels like his weaknesses are, regardless of what he feels like um, his past struggles are or his past failures are. Because small or large, our call is a dedication and a sacrifice to doing what we are called to. So we're called to uh, follow Jesus, show people Jesus, and use words when necessary. So we receive a simple and yet profound call to follow him. These two words just carry so much more weight. Because following Jesus isn't easy. Our fear, our shame, our doubt will creep into the back of our minds as we continue to um, follow him or try and attempt to follow him. But the good news is, Jesus used the broken. He used the ashamed. He used the fearful So following Jesus is a lifelong sacrifice in which we are restored into um, a covenant of love with him because he lives. The overarching meta-narrative of Scripture is a a basic story of the lost and the found. So going all the way back to the original sin of Adam and Eve, where we first become lost, all the way up until the cross and the resurrection— It's a story of lost and found. And we are found because he lives. So today, he is calling you to follow me. This call is more than just a love for Christ, but it's an active devotion to Christ. So what's he calling you to? What areas of your life is he requiring sacrifice that he's requiring, putting things aside in order to follow him. 
What are the fears, anxieties, troubles, doubt that are keeping you from what Jesus is calling you to? So it may be difficult at times. It may be uncomfortable because he's calling us into the fear of this unknown future. So it requires trust along that as well. So this is where he's calling you to. And I got one final question for you. Are you listening? Pray with me. I practiced this on the way in. Okay, here we go. Keep it moving. Yes, made the jump. Now if I just can make this without losing the mic, we're good. Make the back flip. Yes. Oh, man. Gosh. I lost my fuzzy part of the mic already. Sorry. We'll get world opens to cover that. I don't know how much the fuzzy spots cost. Um, man, gosh, it's good to see everyone this morning. Um, I am Grant McCartney. They call me the Island Ninja um, as I live in Hawaii. So that's kind of their little clever play there. Who all watches American Ninja Warrior? Hands up. Okay, right on. That's awesome. Well, um, I just want to share a little bit about my story, my life. If you've seen American Ninja Warrior, yes, yes, come in. Hopefully you're going to see around kids. I don't know who all's left, but there are some of my favorites. Is, um, you'll hear later in my, my talk here that, that Christ also finds them important. I don't know if you guys remember in Scripture where I did my own study of that. Like, he calls the kids to him. Remember? Someone was like, not going to. He's like, no, bring them. He finds that important. So if he finds it important, I find it important. And that kind of plays into everything I want to say today. So yes, if there's more kids outside, bring them in. Bring it on. Um, so I have been competing on the show American Ninja Warrior for, oh, here we go. Hey, look at this. This was last year. Uh, this is my fourth year. I'm in the middle of season 10 right now of American Ninja Warrior. Um, I've done three years of their spinoff show, which is now called Ninja vs. Ninja. It's airing right now. My team is in, I think, the semifinals, so what's up? We made it. Hey, yes, yes, yes. Um, this is a little balance out school in season 10, um, so I'm, I'm loving doing that. A lot of cool opportunities came from that, too. Um, I got asked to be on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I like to dance, and she likes to dance, and they, she had me come on the show, and I was like, I remember sitting down in the interview, and I'm like, She's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. Like, and these are the things that I want you guys to know about. For me, unbelievable. Unbelievable things. Competing on the show, this is me on the salmon ladder, um, which Ryan talking about failure isn't final. Well, I fail on this a lot, so. But it's still my fourth year. It's not final. I'm going to come back this year. Come back strong every year. Um, and so I want you guys to hear those fun cool stuff about being on TV. I never was like, I'm going to be on national television, and that's what I want to do. Like, I don't know. People are always like, are you going to get into acting? I'm like, I don't think so. I'm not really good at acting. Like, that's not my plan. But they're wonderful little things that God has done for me because he loves me. And they're, they're so good. You guys don't even know. I mean, I can try to tell you, but you won't know how good they are because they're not your things. They're the deep desires the, the word of God says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Has anyone ever heard that verse before? If you really believe that, and then dive into those things. What are those things for you? So for me, um, that verse played out in my life. Fun, awesome stuff. 
getting to be on all these different TV shows, getting to go around and tour with friends and get to come speak to you guys and share about wonderful things. Awesome, amazing. What people don't know is the rest of my story. And that's what I want you guys to hear about. Um, It's not cool. It's not fun. It's not silly and joyous. It's actually the exact opposite. I've had so many bad things happen. And I guess I just forget because it's not, it's my life and I live it, but I don't, I, I, if, if I don't tell you, you won't know that. So that's what I want you to know this morning is it's not always cool. It's not always happy and fun. Actually, it's been really awful at times, but God is good. And this is how. So when I was young, um, my family has dealt with different issues. My family's been divorced for a long time. My mom got remarried my freshman year of high school. Um, had my brother, so I got a half-brother. Would never call him a half-brother. He's the best. He's about 15. Um, super solid. You might have seen him on the show with me. Here's my mom. This is back when we, she came out to Hawaii. Um, we got our lays on there, me and my sister. Um, super awesome. She's beautiful. And, uh, and so growing up, though, then they started having problems in my family. My mom, as we got older in high school, um, got remarried and started to deal with issues. She had a knee surgery, and then it got worse. And then she ultimately had like 15 and a total, and then a total knee replacement, and all these things, and then there's drugs associated with that. Those became a problem. They got mixed with alcohol um, and usage with my stepdad and stuff like that. A lot of bad things started happening. Um, there was a time in my life uh, where I moved back in with my, my mom in college. I wanted to help her out. I saw her struggling, and I don't know. This is what we do. We think we can fix it, right? We, I, if I'm there, I can keep her accountable. Maybe she won't drink as much. Maybe if I'm by her side, she won't choose the same thing. She'll see me and she'll love me more. You know, those things that we want to do, right? Well, it doesn't always work like that. And so being back there with her, I'm thinking I'm helping and I'm finding empty alcohol bottles throughout my house and I'm struggling with it, but I'm like, you know what? Stay the course, Grant. And uh, one day I'm outside cleaning my car and I hear my mom call for me from outside. And I'm like, that was interesting. I don't know why she would yell for me. And then that I waited a little bit, just kind of didn't think anything of it. And then I heard her yell again, and I was like, okay, something's up. And then my grandfather pulled up in the driveway, and I know they weren't talking at the time due to her abuse of alcohol and drugs, and they weren't getting along. So I knew something was going on. I went inside, and then walking into my living room, my mom had, had cut her wrist, and she was bleeding out in my living room. And, man, did you think it would get easier Oh, gosh, every time you think that'd get easier to say, um, but it, it wasn't. It was very tough, very hard, and very sad time. And I say that not to bum you out, but to know that immediately after that, we took her to the psych ward, we took her to the hospital, got her bandaged up, and I sat in my car, and I cried, and put my head down on my steering wheel and said, what? Nothing matters to me, God. I don't care. I was, I did well. I had great grades. I was playing every sport I could play. I was prom king in high school. Like, I had so many wonderful things, and none of it mattered to me. I was so hurt. And as I was sitting there with my head down, it was, it was tangibly, as my hands are connected to my body, God sat there and went, yes, this is so bad. But it is not the end of your story, and I am still here, and I still love you. Those moments alone with God are the foundation of everything that I walked out after that. 
I, since I was young, I built my relationship. Just like it talks about in Matthew, how a house built on solid foundations. You might remember those verses talking about the streams came, the wind blew, the rain came down, but the houses that were built on rock didn't come down. Well, that was my rock, literally. Like Christ was my rock that my house was built on. So yes, when it came down heavy and hard on my family and my life, my house was still built. And sometimes I got to go downstairs in the basement, sit down and remember who he is and what I'm founded on, and then walk from there. And I want that. I want that for everyone who ever has to deal with something. Because whether it's awful as that or not as bad, I want someone to go downstairs and remember who he is and what it's built on. So that's where I get to share. Um, I wish that things got easier. This is more pictures of my mom as I got older. Um, and the year before I competed in American Ninja Warrior, I got a call one day, and I'm, I'm here to spread joy and tell you about things of World Orphan. So I just want you to know I got a call saying she passed away. Um, very young, um, you know, way too soon for me, I, I would say. I just, very tough time. And I'm waking up every day. I'm crying in my sleep, which I didn't even know was a thing. I'm confused about what, what do I do? I wake up and go, okay, God, what is going on? Why, why would you do that? How, I can't even control when I cry in my sleep. I can't even, how do I deal with this? And I'm praying to him and I go, okay, I, I don't know these things, but this is what I do know. You do love me, and I know that. Christ has proven that. I've studied that. There are so many ways I can say these are true. I'm going to stand on this until I can figure out this. Romans 8, 20, 28 says, He works all things for the good in those are called according to his purpose and that love him. So I'm thinking, Show me something good then because I'm not seeing anything good about this. I put that in the I don't know yet category and I went back over to what do I know. Matthew 5, 5 talks about that on the Sermon of the Mount, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So I go, okay, that's true, then prove it because I can't figure this out yet. And he did. Day in, day out by random people, random acts of love, other people that act motherly to me, they would step in, they would do something, they would say something, and they would, they would, they would cry with me even. But they would, they would minister to me, making that verse true. And I would step strong, stronger on that until I figured out this. So as I continue this, again, it's the story that my foundation was settled and that I knew what was true. So I worked into what maybe I didn't believe yet and to grow into and see years down the road now that there is, there is good thing about, you know, some of this. It's tough. And I'm not going to get in all that. I want to get into some stuff for world orphans, but I want you to know why the church is important to me, why I've been established for a long time now. So um, getting to do that, that was the year before I applied for American Ninja Warrior. Of course, I told my story. They wanted to share it. And I thought, you know, it is kind of tough to share that with a bunch of people. But if I've learned anything, I am meant to be humbled in front of a lot of people. I lose on American Ninja Warrior. I lost on the Ellen DeGeneres show, the Spartan Tough Mudder X show I lost in. I pretty much just go on TV to lose and look like I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm surprised I actually landed the backflip because I was sure I was going to fall just to like keep, just to keep this streak going. But in that, that's fine. That's fine. If that's what he has for me, great. Well, in that, um, my brother has also lost his stepdad within the last year. So now he is officially an orphan on both parents. So orphans are very important to me, obviously. We can, you can see from my story. Um, Rockford has a Rockford Ninja Warrior event. We've been over there the last couple years. And in there, that's where I met Danielle. Um, and she opened up the idea of World Orphans. 
and got to talk to me about it. Ninjas from the show American Ninja Warrior, and I mean, you maybe see them, they, like, they look like good people. Well, they are. They are great people, and it's wonderful. It's not like, I don't know, The Bachelor. I don't know if anyone watches The Bachelor. I don't, those people could be great, too. I don't know them. So moving on. The ninjas, they're great-hearted people. They're strong believers. Torres is in the house back here. I've seen this man's heart up close and in person, and it is good. Like, he, he is just, and I, these things are wonderful. So we took this group, and they all went to Haiti to build ninja obstacles for kids in Haiti. All right, there's an Olympic center down there. Kids in Haiti don't really... It's not like us having playgrounds everywhere and, you know what, I feel like playing on the soccer team this summer. It's not an option. They're, they're looking for food to eat, places to live. Like, there's no, like, oh, let's just go down the street today and have ice cream because the ice cream man's coming around. Like, and not that our lives are, you know, should be hated on here in America. It's wonderful. They're blessings to us. I'm just saying, let's take care of all of the kids, right? So we're over there. We, we build obstacles for them, like tires in the ground. Here we go. Here's one of our cargo nets we set up. The kids are playing. Um, we got little uh, tires in the sand so they can kind of do the quad step, the first move. We got these um, monkey bars set up in a slack line so they can swing across. And, you know, a lot of them maybe haven't even seen the show, but they don't care. They just want to play. When was the last playground they had? This is their first rock climbing wall, and look at them. I mean, that, that hole is tiny, small. I can barely climb it, and they're going right up it. And uh, so they went and built those obstacles. Danielle was telling me about it, and she's like, you got to come out to Haiti. you got to see this. And we did. We went out in January, and um, it was awesome. So getting out there, we see all this stuff. I hold a camp, and of course I'm goofy and silly the whole time, and it's a challenge because you have to translate. So I'm like, yeah, guys, here we go, right arm, left foot, and it's just dead silent. And then you hear them in French say it all, and then they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, this is new, okay, take it down a notch, like, you're a little wild. Um, And then it was even more so when I got to go to the local church there and, and share my testimony. Dude, that is tough because I'm sharing these heavy moments. I want you guys to know. I want you to know the severity, the seriousness, the real hurt and pain. And then you say something and you're just like in tears. And I'm like, oh. And then it's just quiet. And you're looking at the crowd because they don't know what you said. And then someone comes up and then speaks it out. And you're like, I hope they get this. Like, it's just super interesting. Um, so we got to do that. Uh, and, and the thing about World Orphans that's really cool is it's not like just somebody sending a check and just like, oh, here you go. And it's like, oh, here's some food. There you go. It's partnering through the local church. So the local church is the one that is on the grounds of making these things happen. And it's a holistic care. It's not just like food or education or uh, they also do trauma care. A lot of these kids have lost, in Haiti in particular, their parents to the earthquake. Um, One of the families we got to sit down with, and this was crazy, a 12-year-old girl, a mother of four, sat down with her and, um, and the, her mom was telling us kind of how it works. So the education system there, when they have test days, that's when kind of bills are due. If you don't have the money, you don't take the test. So just, I guess that's just how it is there. And they have different kinds of schools, and there's uniforms, and those cost money. And so she's telling us, you know, about her daughter and about how she used to come to the, the test days and then have to go home because she couldn't afford the school and exam. And I'm listening, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. And she goes, but not anymore. World Orphans now, every time the kid goes in and it's a test day, World Orphans helps cover that cost. And I'm thinking, oh. So I'm sitting here taking notes and trying to remember all this stuff. And so that's, that's one part of it that's like, oh my gosh, that's great. Then the young girl speaks. And mind you, they're translating. There's, she's speaking in, in Creole, uh, kind of like French Creole. 
And then we're waiting to hear what it is. And she's telling us about her dreams of being a nurse. She wants to be the best nurse. Not just a nurse, but like the best nurse. So people know that like she heals people. And I'm sitting there thinking, what? Is this real? Like this is crazy. We are bridging the gap for these people. We are taking that short space of like she wants something good and making that possible by saying, yes, exam day, she might not be able to do that because this mother of four has lost her husband, has four kids to take care of, and the church is doing that. Did you catch that? The church is doing that. So there's twofold. Not only is the physical getting taken care of, the church is doing that. That is what's good. And that is how my story meets World Orphan's story. So my story, again, yes, God has stepped in and provided from other people and loved on us. And the word calls him the father of the fatherless. And he, he does those things. I pray all the time for motherly roles to still show up. Even though I'm almost 30, I still need a mom to come around sometimes and give me a pair of underwear or socks. Why? Because that is good and that's how they made them. God made women to love that way. Like, I don't think about changing underwear. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I still need that. I stink. It's real. And so that's where my story meets World Orphans is that the church is what has helped me. The church has been my foundation and what's good. And that's what I want for people. But I also want to meet their needs in the physical, doing something about it. And that's what I want to challenge you guys with this morning. Um, I just want you guys to think, pray on it. Uh, More than that, though, while I was back there and I was worshiping, I was climbed at the highest spot and I just love it. Aaron's just killing it, man. It's just, I, I want you guys to think about the lyrics of the songs. I want you to dive into the Spirit. Drink it all the way in, like an intoxication of the Spirit. Like, think, what is he saying when you're praising the creator of everything? And see what he has. Because if he's calling you to that, be obedient because it is good. And if not, that's okay too. But I want these good and better things for you guys. And I also want these good and better things for these orphans. There are so many more stories about many other countries. There's 12 total countries that World Orphans is in. This is just one of them. But I want you to know a little bit more about that so I could offer up that. If you guys feel called to do that, pray about it and dive in. They do need your support. But also know that my story is bigger than I just am really happy. The joy of the Lord truly is my strength. And that's in Nehemiah. And it is, it is true as this day is. And I just want you guys to also see and be encouraged by your faith because the church is what works out those things in World Orphans. And the church is what has worked out good things in me. And ultimately, I'm just here to say thank you, Lord, in the same way. So I want to um, bring the worship team back up to sing a couple more songs. But I want to challenge you guys to just go deep into that worship. Drink it in. Fully breathe it in. My man right here was back in the back. I was running back and forth, and he came back to join me as I'm like losing my mind. I have tons of energy, obviously. And I'm just like, I'm running back and forth, and he's back there too, just rocking out with me. And I'm like, yes, drink deep. Drink deep. Yes, there it is. Boy, no, with the roll, with the tuck and roll. But I just want you guys to dive deep into worship. One of the things that's best about gathering together, what it says in Hebrews of not forsaking the gathering, is because we can do that together and we can be spurred on by people's excitement. It can spread. Well, I hope that that's what happens today. And, and think about those things. If you do feel called to give, 
please do. I had to go myself to make sure it was real. I had to go to Haiti to go, I'm, you know, I'm a realist. I'm like, something's going to be awry here. No, I was in Haiti. I was with these family. I walked it all the way up to the young 12-year-old girl who is wanting to become a nurse. And I go, what? We are bridging this gap. So I just want you guys to know that stuff. And thank you for having us out. Aaron, you're going to take it away here, my man. Do you need this headset from me? No, no. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much.